Might not be over yet. Five seconds to oh, he's out of bounds. 13! 13! Can you believe it? He's kicked 13! G'day everyone and welcome back to the 15th episode of the Boy Oh Boy Wowie podcast. Today we have another huge guest who played 150 AFL games and kicked 185 goals and also won Hawthorne's goal kicking in 1999. Please welcome Aaron Lord. Thanks for coming on. Come on today, Aaron. No worries at all, mate. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. That's good. We'll just jump straight into the questions. Absolutely, mate. Yeah, happy to help. Shoot. How did you first get involved in footy? Uh, how did I first get involved? Well, I was going to school. I reckon I was probably in about seven or eight. Um, played my first year in the under tens at Ivanhoe. Um, but really, just essentially, it was, I was very young at school. I was um, um, I was one of the younger kids. So while they were sort of playing under tens, I wasn't sort of I, I didn't qualify for a particular age group. So I was just sort of mucking around playing with mates on the weekends and stuff, and after school and. Um, yeah, one of the one of the one of the kids just sort of said, "Come down and, and train with the older group, being the under tens." And I went down and um, just fell in love with it straight away. Was footy the only sport you played growing up? No, I was actually. Um, well, I played obviously played like most sort of Aussie kids play cricket in the summer and footy footy in the winter. I also played a bit of tennis, so um, I think it came it came down to. I mean, I never would have made it in the other sports, to be honest with you, but. Um, <laughs> There was one. Uh, there was one year where I made the McDonald's squad playing tennis, and we also had a cricket tour of England. Um, I think it was about under 15s or something. But that, the cricket tour was right in the middle of the the, um, the Melbourne footy season, so we had, when we were, we were going to travel to London for, with our school, Ivan our grammar. Um, so I really had to make a decision on whether you know you wanted to sort of go go over the season and try try to play cricket or, or stay local and make a make a career in footy. And um, like I said, yeah, I never would have made it as a, a cricket player. I was just a, a school a sort of hack school school cricketer. So um, in the end, I decided to stay in Melbourne, and the rest is history. Um, when did you really start taking your footy seriously? Yeah, it's a good question. I reckon about under 14, under 15, you sort of start to think, you know, I, I think you start to realise, I mean, at, at the start, you just do it for fun, under 10s, under 11s, you don't, you don't go out there thinking that you want to, you know, even necessarily win the game. It's just about having fun with your mates. And then, I don't know, maybe under 14 or under 15, I started to get selected for some sort of representative teams. And um, I was playing for Doncaster Heights at the time, and uh, we made some, some, some rep sides, which had some really sort of, you know, quality players at the time. Uh, who went on to play league football and I remember in one of those rep games I sort of I ran out there again not really um, wanting to impress anyone or whatever just to go out and have a bit of fun and I, I remember playing quite well and um, being approached by Fitzroy I think it was at the time uh, their development squad officer afterwards just sort of saying look we, we'd love you to come down and train with our under 19s um, as a 15 year old so I, was sort of, I started to think then you know, perhaps perhaps I'm um, perhaps there's a career there for me yeah what was that like getting approached by an AFL club yeah, pretty much back then. I mean, we didn't have the national draft and we didn't have the scrutiny that a lot of um, the, the players do now. Obviously, I mean, now you, um, you know, if you're fourteen, fifteen, you, you're being you're being watched every single game you play by the officers. But back then, we um, it was back in the, the day of zones. So I lived in I lived in Box Hill and I lived 
Fitzroy approached me, but I was about 100 metres out of Hawthorne's zone, and then the zones changed, uh, literally, overnight, um, and I became a, um, a part of Hawthorne's zone. So in the end, um, before the under-19s finished, back in 1992, I think it was, or 91, um, I was actually zoned technically to Hawthorne, and that's, um, yeah, you, you just basically get a phone call out of nowhere, mate. There was no mobile phones back then. You get, you get the, the phone call on the landline, your mum comes into your room and says you got a phone call from the, the Hawthorne Footy Club, and um, yeah, it's it's a pretty sort of strange experience, but a, a good one as well. So that's sort of how it all eventuated. And um, as a 15 year old, I then went down to train with Hawthorne in the under 19s, and that's when I that's when I, I guess really started to realise that I that I had some had some talent and um, was going to make a career out of it. How good was that to like be training with such a big club? Yeah, it was massive. In fact, I just um, I don't know I, I don't know how much research you've done. Pickett tells me you've done you, you'll do a bit of research. But if you if you jump on LinkedIn or, or Facebook, you'll see that I do a, um, a a podcast sort of series of my own called Total Recall about writing about former former players. And I've just finished one on on um, Robert Dipieta Medico. And um, yeah, to be a 15 year old playing in 1991 for the under 19, surrounded by guys like Dipper and um, Dermot Brereton and Andrew Collins, Gary Ayres. Chris Langford, Chris Mew, these types of players, it was just an unbelievable experience. And that's where it really sort of solidified my my desire to go on and try and become a footballer because he just, they, they, these are the guys he idolised as, as a kid growing up. Even though I, bar- I barracked for Carlton, you, you walk into an environment like Hawthorne of the 90s and you think, Hag was this, and you just you embrace the culture and decide that that's what you want to do. So was there a specific club that you thought you were going to get drafted to? Um, well, it sort of all changed, to be honest with you, mate, because um, I was 15 playing under-19, and I'm thinking, oh, how good is this? And I'd, I'd had quite a good year as a 15-year-old. I played 15 games in the under-19s, and, you know, you're playing against 18 or 19-year-old kids, but they're like, back then for a 15-year-old, they're like grown men, you know? They, they, they seem like these big beasts, and I was doing quite well. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll actually just gravitate through the reserves and eventually, if I'm good enough, play, play in the seniors. But... Um, the the under nineteens went out in, at the end of nineteen ninety one and it was replaced by the now um, under eighteen competition. So um, my future sort of got thrown well and truly into sort of the uncertain mode because I didn't know well, what to do. And I started playing for the um, Central Dragons back then. I think they're called the Sandringham Dragons now in the under eighteen um, TAC competition. And um, was uh, played a year in that competition and was drafted to the Brisbane Bears. So that's when the national draft started to come into into play in 1992, and was drafted to the Brisbane Bears. So um, yeah, to answer your question, I guess um, yeah, I, I didn't. I, I knew at some point, probably about 15 or 16, that I, I probably would get a chance to play AFL, AFL footy, but I, I had no idea who it was going to be with because the zones all changed and it became a national draft. Yeah, what was that like getting drafted to Brisbane? Yeah, it was weird because, um, like, now, if, if a club's going to draft you, they'll, they'll speak to you, like, they'll come and visit you, they'll speak to your mum, your dad, your best friend, they'll speak to everyone, they'll scrutinise everything from your exam marks all the way through to what kind of person you are. But back then, it wasn't the case. It was just, um, if they were interested, you might get a letter from them or you might get a phone call, like I mentioned before. But um, I hadn't, I'd spoken to every club prior to the 1992 90, National Draft, every club except for Brisbane and Sydney. Um, and I made it quite clear to all the clubs that I wanted to stay in Melbourne to pursue a chiropractic um, degree because I'd studied really hard to get into chiropractic school. And chiro was only offered in Melbourne um, and Perth, I think. It certainly wasn't offered in Sydney or Brisbane. So if the Sydney and Brisbane clubs had called me, I would have said categorically, um, I'm not interested because I want to stay in Melbourne. And they didn't. And, of course, ironically, I'd get drafted by the Brisbane Bears. So it was a whole lot of sort of feeling in many ways, mate, because... 
I, you want, everyone wants to get on an AFL list, but at the same time, I, I'd made it quite clear I wanted to stay in Melbourne. And so to get drafted by Brisbane, it meant that I had to sit out of footy for a year until they traded me to Geelong the following year. How hard was that to sit out for a year? Yeah, it was tough because like all your mates around you that you played Teal Cup with and school footy with, you're all getting drafted as 17-year-olds and going going on. Some some of them, in the case of Dustin Fletcher and Justin Lepich, um, David Neitz, they were all getting senior games at 17 and 18. Um, and I was the same age and I'd played in teams, in representative teams the whole way through with these types of guys. So, But I had to play another year in the under-18, so it was kind of really frustrating. But at the same time, I knew that... You know, these guys that I played with, like Nita and, and Leper and, and these types of guys had gone on to play senior footy, then I, then I must have been pretty close as well. So I just had another year, just persevered for another year in the under-18s and then was traded 12 months later. Because back then you couldn't just trade like you can now. Um, you had to wait 12 months. You had to be on a list for 12 months before you could be traded. Um, so 12 months later, they traded me to, to Geelong. And, um, yeah, I'd made my debut with the Cats the following year in 94. What was that feeling when you did get drafted by Brisbane? Oh, it's, um, yeah, it's surreal because you're just a kid, you know. Like, I was, I would have been 17, and um, like I said, no, mo- no mobile phones back then, no internet. You, you couldn't just log on to the national draft and see where you were selected. You had to literally wait for a phone call in the afternoon. Um, it, it was, I was in year 12 at the time. I had a chemistry exam in the morning and a maths exam in the afternoon, and in between, I got a phone call from uh, the Brisbane, or from Mum, actually, just sort of saying, look, I've just heard from Brisbane, the Brisbane Bears. They were, they were the Bears back then, not the Lions. Um, and they drafted you with uh, pick pick four um, selection, pick sixty six in the national draft. So yeah, it's pretty surreal sort of feeling. I was pretty I was pretty disappointed because I, I you know I, I wanted to stay in Melbourne or I wanted to play senior footy as close as the next year if I could. But um, in the end, I, as, as you know, I had to sit out for a year and um, I was sort of stuck on Brisbane's list. I never actually went to Brisbane in the whole twelve months I was I was listed um, with the Bears, but I did play in one practice match with them here in Melbourne. But that's that's the extent of it. So it was um, yeah, it was a strange sort of feeling. Yeah, how happy were you then to be able to be traded to Geelong? Yeah, really, really happy because, you know, you, you play another year of footy and I had a really good year. Oh, I felt like I had a, a really good year. But then at the end, this sort of started to become, like at the start of the year, it was like, oh, no, don't worry, just, just play another 12 months in under 18 and you'll be traded. And then by the end of the year, there, was, there started to be a few question marks and not on, not on my performance or my year that I had just on you know logistically sometimes it doesn't always work out and you might have to go on a supplish for a year or so there was it's, all of a sudden there was, there was a few red flags in terms of there was no certainty that I would be traded to to any club um and then I spoke to a few clubs prior to the, the trade period and, and Geelong were well they sounded pretty keen anyway and um yeah sure enough the deal was done and I was traded to Geelong so to get to that Finally, to get to that Victorian club um, as an 18-year-old, it was it was great because then I could, knew I could start pre-season. That I think they played in the, um, the grand final the year before against the Eagles in '92, so they're obviously a super side with guys like Gary Ablett Senior and Billy Brownless and Barry Stone and Paul Couch, those types of players. So they were a great club. Um, I knew it was going to be hard to get a game, but it was yeah, it was a good feeling to be drafted by them. What was your first day at Geelong like for you? Yeah, it was interesting. I I drove down. Uh, I can't remember if I drove down because I wouldn't have had my license. I, I may have had my license chuffed. Yeah, I would have been 18, so probably would have driven down by myself. And um, I remember Andrew Buse uh, came up to me. He was the Geelong captain, I think, at the time, and just welcomed me in. Um, we had a hard session. It was a really hard session first up. So five 1Ks you had to do, which was like an aerobic fitness test. You had to do five 1K pretty much sprints um, in a certain time and with, with very minimal rest and 
So it was a tough session first half, and then we all went back to um, Billy Brownless's pub at the time. I think it was in Grovedale, and and pretty much just got hammered. Um, <laughs> and that was my first sort of my first introduction to, to senior footy, and that was just to go out and get um, get plastered on the track in terms of a, a training session, and then and to go and have a few few beers with my new teammates. So um, no, it was a great day, but it's yeah, it was it certainly pre-season training was very tough back then. How long did it, did it take you to settle in at Geelong? Um, yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I mean, well, so my first year I played, so if I'm traded at the end of 93, I made my debut this at, in round five, 94. So to answer your question, not long. I mean, I, I was playing senior footy fairly quickly, but I only played one game and then I rolled my ankle um, during the week after my first game. So then I was out of the side for the next 17 weeks and didn't get back in until I played in the final in, in 94. So I never really felt sort of part of the fabric of the club until I played in that final. So it probably took a good year to settle in. Um, but certainly, you know, as soon as you walk into a club, you embrace that as your own. I mean, I barracked for Carlton as a kid, but as soon as you walk into and be surrounded by players like Gary Ablett and Gary Hocking and Barry Stone, I mean, you just, you love the place like your home and, and you settle in fairly quickly. What was going through your head when you were named to debut? Um, <laughs> just petrified, I think, in many respects, because you, you're excited, but you don't know, you know, reserves great footy compared to senior footy is a, a very different thing. Um, and so, you know, the first four games of the season, I was obviously playing uh, well enough for for consideration for senior selection, but until you play that first game, you've got no idea the transition from reserves footy to senior footy. The speed of the game is just so... So much more paramount at senior level. So um, yeah, I remember I remember feeling pretty excited, but pretty pretty scared at the same time. Until you get on and you get a few touches, and then you sort of start to feel at home a bit. Can you talk us through your second game, the nineteen ninety four semi final, when you had twenty four touches and a goal? Yeah, like I said to you earlier. So I, um, after that first game, I only I only really played a quarter and a half. I came on I think in the third quarter. We we we'd beaten North Melbourne down at Kennedy Park. And, I had a couple of touches, but I still had no idea what senior footy was really like. And then, as I said, I had to sit out um, the whole season as an emergency, really, because I couldn't force my way back into the side. We were such a good, it was such a good team that year, and we had great players like Gary Hocking, Paul Couch, Mark Best, O'Leary, and Pickering going through the middle of the ground where I was playing. So I just couldn't force my way back in. And then um, on, on the night before, literally the night before the the '94 semi final that you just mentioned, we we lost our three. Best midfielders basically being Couch, Besto, and Hockey. They'd all done injuries at training. We used to train the night before the game back then. And um, yeah, they'd all gone down with, with uh, hamstring injuries, I think, or one of them did a shoulder or something. And so, yeah, Bloody just um, he tapped me on the shoulder and said, you, you know, you've waited a long time. You, you're coming in, and not only are you coming in, but we're, we're going to start you in the middle. And um, yeah, so, I mean, he was fantastic in that re- regard because he didn't, he, he could have just sat me on the bench for the whole game. and um, didn't necessarily have to play me for much game time, but he, uh, he embraced it and said, oh, here's your second game, you're coming in and you're, and you're starting in the middle. So it was, um, yeah, it was a good feeling. How much confidence did that give you that he put a fair chunk of faith in you? Yeah, it was good. Cool. I mean, Blighty was like that. I mean, I, I had some great coaches. I had um, you know, Malcolm Blight to start with and Gary Ayres, Peter Schwab, Ken Judge, and then Bomber Thompson back at Geelong. And um, Blighty was one of those coaches that just, He's very eccentric, yeah, left left of centre and eccentric in the sense that he'd come up with some strange sort of um, ways to get you motivated. But it literally makes you think you, you could run through a brick wall. He, he really did. He, he just um, like he came up to me the, night, the day of the game. He just said, 
you probably play either Craig Bradley or, or Mill Hanna or, or whoever rotates through there, and that you, you, can, you can beat them. I'm a, I'm a one game player. I'm playing on these champions, but I, you know, literally had no idea where the hell I was going to go. So he, he just he just instilled you with a confidence that, that, that perhaps you didn't have before, and um, yeah, that proved to be the case on the day. We got away to a good start, and um, yeah, all of a sudden I had some early touches, and from that point I, I felt like I belonged um, in the AFL. Yeah, what was your lead up to the nineteen ninety five grand final like? Yeah, it was good actually. Were, it, look, a lot of people sort of start playing my best footy at Hawthorne, and I probably did individually. But that the final series in ninety five leading up to that grand final was probably the best form that I'd ever been in from an individual point of view, and, and collectively we were, we were on fire as well. We'd, I think in the, in the first final we'd we'd belted Footscray um, in a night game, belted them. Billy Brownless was on fire. I think kick six. Uh, I played a good game on Scott West, and then the following week was against Richmond in the prelim, and we, we did the job on them. So going into the game against Carlton in '95, we, we were really confident that we could we could beat them. And having said that, I mean they that, that only lost two games for the year against St Kilda and, and and the Swans, who were a really poor team. So and they were pretty much invincible that year. They were a super team Carlton in '95. So going into the game, we we, we were really confident, but um and, and my form in particular was was very good, but uh, we just couldn't get it done couldn't get done on the day. In fact, we were bitterly disappointing. And I didn't have a great game. I started on Mill, uh, Mill Hannah on the wing and, and didn't get much of the footy. So, yeah, it was a pretty disappointing day for me individually and collectively, yeah. What was your feeling walking out on the biggest stage in AFL? Yeah, it was, it was great. It was a great feeling. It's the best week of your life. I mean, you know, you... you um, I can't remember who won the Brownlow that year in 95, um, Paul Kelly probably, the Swans. So, you know, you sit back on Monday night, you've trained on the Monday, you're feeling pretty fresh, you've had a good win in the prelim the week before. Um, you've, you've got big crowds coming to training all the way through grand final week, you've got the grand final parade on Friday. It's, it's a great week of your life, particularly for a young kid. I mean, I was only 20 at the time. So, um, yeah, for me, it was, was great until grand final day, until until they, um, you know, they obviously <laughs> deflated our bubble, the old Val Carlton, but... Um, yeah, the, the, the week itself and the lead up to the game is outstanding. And you know, when you run out the ground the first time, there's a hundred thousand people there. It's it's a pre, it's a pretty amazing feeling. So yeah, it's it was a great day or a great week, but a, a, you know, one of the one of the darkest days as well because we obviously got thumped in the end. Yeah, how disappointing was it to lose in that grand final? Yeah, it was disappointing because I, I think the reality was we we played them once earlier in the year in '95 and uh, at Optus Oval, Carlton. And uh, like I said to you, they were a super side that year. They only lost two games for the year, but we got within about three points. And uh, in fact, probably should have won the game at Optus Oval when we played them in the home away season in the same year in '95. So we we went in with a lot of confidence, even though in reality we were probably never going to win the game in the grand final. But because we gotten so close to them earlier in the year. Um, we thought we were a fair chance, but you know history says they're a super super team, and um, to lose the games, it's just a demoralising feeling. And you know that was the last final I actually played in. So you know the twenty year old, you come off the game, you off the ground, and you're disappointed for a few days and a few weeks, and you think, oh, well, you you probably get the chance to do it all over again. But in in reality, I never played in another grand final again. In fact, not not, not even another final. So to that to that end, it was very disappointing to to finish a final series at twenty years old and never get the opportunity to do it again. It was pretty, you know, you're pretty flat. Yeah, exactly. How much do you take out of a grand final loss? Um, at the time, I took a lot. I didn't watch the game for about seven or eight years. I mean, you know, and I harbored. I was only a fifteen game player at the time. Probably maybe twenty, maybe a twenty game player at the time. And you harbor all this responsibility and guilt because you think you could have played better on the day and. In reality, I mean, we had some 
super experienced players, and I've mentioned them several times already. Gary Ablett, Gary Hawkins, Paul Couch, Mark Besto, uh, Billy Brown was all those types of guys. And they were playing in their fourth grand final in seven years in 1995. So for them, you know, they're the guys you probably should be asking in terms of how are you feeling because for a 20-year-old kid, it was just like, oh, I'll get my opportunity again and, you know, life goes on and... You lose games, games of footy. That's that's the be, you know, that's 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 part of life. But for those senior guys who had lost four in seven years, I mean, it just must have been absolutely demoralising for them. But to, yeah, to lose any games hard, but to lose the grand final is is obviously particularly hard. Now, what led to the decision to leave Geelong? Yeah, it's a good question. The following year, um, Gary Ayres became coach, and he, and he in '95, Carlton had. had had beaten us with um, players of, of the ilk of sort of Anthony Kudafides, Ange Christou, Andrew McKay, Michael Sexton, these types of these tall running guys, are these super athletes. And I think Gary Ayers sort of went on this mission to to try and um, recruit similar types of players, and he did, but they were never any good. You know, he, he got guys into the club like Marty McKinnon from Adelaide and Craig Bitterscum, names that you probably won't even know. They were good, honest players, but they weren't the players that he was looking for. And and as such, my role as a midfielder sort of got pushed to the side a little bit. I, only, I think I only played about 10 or 12 games in in 96. And um, I was playing pretty good footy in the twos, but I just, you know, as I said, it was a bit of a change of direction from the club after the grand final loss. So um, we got to the end of 96 and I sat down with Ayers, Gary Ayers and um, he sort of said, what do you want to do? I mean, you, you contracted to us, but, um, you know, do you... Do, do you do you want to leave? And I said, well, I don't want to leave, but, um, you know, th- th- there are a few clubs sort of sniffing around and they've offered me an opportunity to sort of play more more minutes now in the midfield. So so there were three clubs predominantly, um, North Melbourne, Hawthorne and Carlton, ironically, um, who sort of said, well, we'll trade for you. And um, in the end, I, I did a, um, they did a deal with Hawthorne to get Tim Hargraves to Geelong and um, myself to Hawthorne. So, yeah, hard to leave, after, particularly after you've played in grand finals and you've sort of connected to the club for three years. But um, at the same time, it was good to get back to Melbourne when my family was living in Kew. My mum was living in Kew, so I went back and lived with her for a little bit and was just training down the road at Hawthorne. So it worked out pretty well. Did it take you long to fit in at Hawthorne? Um, not really, mate. I mean, by that stage, you're three years into the system, and um, you know, you know, you know that you've sort of been thrown a lifeline. I mean, in respects, no one wants to leave a club, but when you when you do, you sort of well, you can go two two ways. You can either take it for granted and, and just sort of fall by the wayside, or you can sort of take it as a bit of a kick up kick up the backside and sort of say, well, you know, I'm moving clubs here. I need to sort of re reinvent myself. So, I, and that's the way I went. I, I sort of trained as hard as I ever ever, ever did. Um, had guys like Shane Crawford around me who was inspirational in terms of the way he went about his training and so my training went to a whole new level and as, as, as such I became a much better player when I, when I did leave Geelong um, and um, yeah so to answer your question in, in a long-winded way mate it didn't take long um, very long at all to fit in. What was it like for you playing against teams that you'd been at in Brisbane and Geelong? Geelong? Well, Brisbane less so because I never really got to know the guys. I mean, I, like I was drafted to them, but I never really, you know, like I said, I, I never even I played in one practice match with them, so that, that was less of a concern or less of a, uh, an issue or, or, or sort of hurdle to overcome. But certainly playing against Geelong, the guys that you sort of played with for the last three years, yeah, very very tough. Like because you're playing on, you know, I mean, I, I ended up being a, a half forward flanker or forward pocket, and you're playing on your best mates, really, like like guys like Bradshaw or Brenton Sanderson and these types of guys. So. Um, yeah, that's very tough. And the first time we played them, we played them down at Canadian Park. I think it was about round six in 1997. And we won by a goal. And yeah, it was a great feeling to beat the old club. But at the same time, it's it's, it's easy and it's hard because you, you, you know you know the 
you know the positive aspects of the way that your opponents play the game, but you also know their weaknesses. So, um, and they, and and vice versa with you. So, um, yeah, pretty tough to play against the old club, but at the same time, it's good if you if you um, were able to win against them. What was it like when you were named Hawthorne's best first year player? Uh, well, I wasn't. I was Geelong's best first year player, and then in Hawthorne, I was runner up in their best and fairest in '97, and then third in their best and fairest in '98, and then leading goal kick in '99. So. I was never best first year player at Hawthorne. I was best first year player at Geelong, and then second in their senior best of Ferris in '97. If that makes sense. What was it like to be to come runner up for in one of the VNFs at Hawthorne? Yeah, it was it was it was big because you know I'd, I'd obviously moved clubs, and um, you know I really wanted to sort of go from just being a sort of um, you know a player who sort of sat in between number ten and fifteen in a club to really one of the top players of the club and. Um, I was able to do that at Hawthorne in the first year. Uh, Paul Salmon won the best and fairest, and I was I was finished second with um, with Daniel Harford equal second. So um, you know, like to finish ahead of guys like Shane Crawford and, and these types of guys, Daniel Chick and Jade Rawlings, and that it's pretty, it's pretty satisfying. So um, yeah, it was it was a great first year at the club, and then I followed up the, next, the following year coming third, and then obviously um, won the goal kicking in '99. So those three years in particular, I think '97. To 99 were probably the best years from a football perspective that I ever played, for sure. Yeah, what was it like when you won the Hawks goal-kicking in 99? It was good because I think the previous nine years, Jason Dunstall had won the award, so... <laughs> but he's kicking, goal, he's kicking like 120 goals and, and 95 goals and 110 the night, and then I, then I come along and win the goal-kicking in 99 with 44 goals. So it was, it was a, very, a very different dynamic in terms of the way we scored, but... Um, you know, to have Jason Dunstall, who's a super, you know, superstar of the game, win practically for a decade prior to you, um, and then you're the next one that comes along. I think Nick Holland won it the year after me, and maybe Ben Dixon the year after uh, me, uh, him again. So it was a whole, whole complete um, different, different forward line. And you know, we obviously weren't going through one player like Jason, but um, yeah, to win the goal kicking was something that um, you know you hung your hat on a little bit because it's it's hard as a small forward to be consistent in kicking goals week in week out and. Um, I thought I was able to do that pretty effectively in 99. What was your feeling when you represented the big V and how happy were you with the opportunity? Oh, I mean, naturally, as a kid, that's, that's all you want to do. Back then, State of Origin was massive. So, you know, to come up against... I, I actually didn't make the final squad, um, the cut, so I was in their representative squad, which was an honour enough. I mean, you know, like when you, come, you come up to training again with players of the ilk of Gavin Brown and Mark McCurry and uh, Matthew Richardson... Um, Chris Langford and all these types of guys. So, you know, to, to be actually just surrounded by those players and then to be training with them in, in, a, in a Victorian representative squad is, is quite is quite amazing. So, and that's all you really sort of wanted to wanted to do as a kid growing up when you did when you did make a make it a, on an AFL list. So, yeah, to get that opportunity was huge. And um, like I said, I never actually played an actual game itself against South Australia, but um, their initial squad was 30 players, of which I was a, a big part, and um, yeah, loved every minute of it. Yeah, how hard was it to leave Hawthorne, but how happy were you to be going back to Geelong? Yeah, it was tough because we were on the verge of something pretty special. I felt at Hawthorne in 2000, uh, what was it, to the end of 2001 now. So, and I, I had a pretty good year, to be honest with you. And, and we just we just fell away. Like, we were on top of the ladder halfway through the year, along with Essendon. And we were unbeaten. So we were flying at the start of 2001, and I was playing some pretty good footy. And then we just started to lose some games we shouldn't have lost, and my form sort of fell away a little bit. And in the end, it was a similar type of decision um, 
with a discussion with with uh, Peter Schwab at the time, who was the coach that I had a few years earlier with with um, with Gary Ayers. It was simply, well, you know, you're a big part of the of the, the club, but at the same time, if there's opportunities elsewhere, would you look at it? And I, I just felt like I wanted to stay at Hawthorne, but um, in the end, in the end, it didn't work out that way for whatever reason. And I was picked up in the preseason draft at number one by Geelong to go back there. So it was great because I, there was still a lot of players that I'd played with previously at Geelong five years earlier, like Ronnie Burns, uh, Brenton Sanderson, Ben Graham, Peter Riccardi, uh, these types of players. And it was a, there was a young group coming through, um, you know, with blokes like Gary Abbott. Junior James Bartell, Steve Johnson, Joel Corey, um, Corey Enroy, Cameron Ling. So it was a really exciting time at the club. And whilst we were still a couple of years away from being the premiership, you know, dynasty that they that they that they uh, produced, um, yeah, it was good to get back to, and see some old friends and play some good footy. What led to your decision to retire? Um, I don't know. It's, it's a good question. I was 28 at the time. I played 10 years in the system. Uh, in hindsight, it was probably a year earlier. Yeah, probably a year premature. But you know, I was playing on a half full flank, not playing great footy in my last year. I must admit, and Peter Riccardi was on the other one, and we were holding guys like Steve Johnson and Gary Ablett Jr. They were playing in the seconds, and um, you know, I didn't retire just for that reason. But I just felt the time was right, and um, yeah, perhaps wasn't as enjoying my footy as much as I did pre- in previous seasons, and. And the form wasn't great, so I just felt. Look, in hindsight, I would have gone on for another year, and I had a contract in front of me to, to do that. But it, um, for whatever reason, I just thought the time was right at the time, and and made the call to, to pull the pin. How hard was that decision to retire? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, in the last six weeks of the season, that's all you think about. You're sort of thinking, should I go on? There's a contract there. You know, am I playing good enough footy? Do I, do I want to make the trip from Melbourne to Geelong every single day? Um, there was a few things that were sort of factored in, but um, it was a tough decision, but. Something I, you know, I, I felt comfortable with at the time, and like I said, I've had my time over again. I probably would have played on for another year, but I certainly wouldn't have made it to 2007 when they when they won their first flag for 40 odd years. So it, was, it wasn't like I'd missed out on anything because, um, you know, I was still retired four years before they won that first premiership. What were your emotions like during that last game that you played? Yeah, they were big because uh, I hadn't, I hadn't had, wasn't in great form at all, and I'd been injured actually with with, um, with a hamstring. I'd, I was out of the side, and I was stuck on 149 games for for oh, it must have felt like about 12 weeks, I reckon. And um, I didn't think I was going to get to 150, and well, it's just a, a numerical thing. It was it would have been nice to finish on 150, and uh, so I trained really hard the last week of season to try and get back in the side, and and then Bomber Thompson sort of called the meeting and announced that. Um, that I, yeah, I was going to be playing my, my final game and one fiftieth game against St Kilda in the last game. Even though technically, I don't think my form really warranted it. I wasn't playing great footy, and I was and I wasn't fit. I just my hamstrings were were really sort of banged up, and um, so for him to sort of basically gift me that last game was was really generous. And um, so I finished on one hundred and fifty games exactly, and it was a great great feeling. What was your feeling once that final sign had gone? Yeah, it was interesting because I actually just took off on a plane and, and went and worked overseas. So I was sort of removed removed from it a little bit. Um, but I came back relatively soon, and then you sort of you're still 28 years old, and you you're watching the TV and you're watching players that you sort of played on and could beat sort of relatively comfortably, and thinking you know perhaps I've gone a bit too early here. But um, once you're retired, you're retired. You know, not many not many players have made very successful comebacks. You've got to be pretty. You got to be, have a pretty big name like Tony Lockett and so forth to come back. So I was never really in the mix to make a comeback. I, I just was was relatively comfortable with the decision to retire. But it was it was hard to come back to Australia and 
um, and, and still be quite young and quite fit and, and, and see guys that you used to beat, as I said, quite comfortably still running around. So it was sort of mixed emotions, but at the same time, I was comfortable with retiring when I did. Who were some of the best opponents that you'd played against? Yeah, from a midfield perspective, probably guys that I that could just outrun me. So, you know, Craig Bradley, Robert Harvey, Shane Crawford, Gary Hocking, um, those types of guys are just very good aerobically. Um, I mean, my great strength was my, my my upper body strength, my power and my speed, but not, certainly not my aerobic capacity. So if you put, if you put a really aerobic machine on me, um, I just couldn't I couldn't keep up. So guys that I just mentioned were just superstar players because they were just aerobically superior to me. Um, as, as a forward, a very different ball game. Like you, you play on guys like Damien Hardwick or Andrew McKay, James Clement, those types of players, just really good in the air, who could play small, they're just as quick as you, they're just as powerful as you. So it depends on what part of the ground you play, but certainly um, those midfield names, you know, and you could add Nathan Buckley, Michael Voss, James Hurd to the list as well. Just super players that were just so hard to, to beat both aerially and also aerobically. Who were some of the best teammates that you played with? Yeah, I mean, look, as a kid, I, I pick it, Liam Pickering, who I, I know you, you know. Um, he, he was sort of like my mentor when I first started. We, we were both living in Melbourne and, and travelling uh, up and back to Geelong. So he became immediately my sort of my, my best mate, even though he was about 10 years older than me. Um, at Geelong, he became my sort of mentor and the guy that I looked up to. He was just a, a, a great football person, as you know. Um, and then you just, you, you sort of, I guess you gravitate to the people of your own age, like your Ben Grahams and your Brenton Sandersons and Peter Riccardi's at Geelong. And um, at, at Hawthorne, I'd probably sort of say guys like Daniel Harford, Jade Rawlings, uh, Daniel Chick, Craig Trelevin, these types of players who are, again, around about your same age and that you, um, that you sort of socialise with as well. So, And then going back to Geelong, um, Brenton Sanderson and Peter Riccardi and James Bartell and, and Joel Corey were probably the ones that I, I would say in that sort of secondary batch of, of my time back in Geelong. But, um, you know, you throw 40 blokes together from all walks of life, you're going to get some um, different characters. But at the end of the day, you're all pushing for the same cause and everyone generally tend, tends to get along pretty well. Yeah, what were some of the favourite memories of your AFL career? I was certainly playing in the grand final in 95, and any final you could play. So I played in the final series in 94, obviously, and then um, the entire series in 95. That, that were great highlights. Um, obviously playing your first game. Um, playing my, my final game, my 150th game, was obviously at home at Geelong was, was a, a, a highlight. Um, yeah, and just and just playing in big games so you can recall. I mean, I, and playing with some superstar players like Gary Ablett Senior and Paul Salmon and Chris Langford, John Platten, Darren Pritchard, Shane Crawford, um, James Bartell, Gary Ablett Senior, and Junior. So yeah, I was very fortunate to play with some superstar players in, in both at both clubs and both superstar clubs as well. So yeah, I was very lucky and very fortunate to have um, a great career in that regard. Yeah, some of the all-time greats. It, what advice do you have for any youngsters playing footy at the minute? Yeah, I think I, I answered this question the other day. So I think the thing that I always sort of say to kids coming through is, um, I mean, we've all got strengths and we've all got weaknesses. And the, the, the quicker you can pick up the, your own weaknesses, so for example, if you can't kick on your left foot or you're not very good at on you know uh, overhead taking um, aerial marks or your aerobic fitness isn't fantastic, you need to identify that at a very as, as early as you can and and work on that because we can we can all work on our strengths. We can all go to the park and have 50 shots a goal if you're a good goal kicker or 
go for you know a 5k run every day if you're a good aerobically but if it's it's what you're not good at at an early age if you can pick that up and identify that at an early age um i think that stands you in good stead because you know there's teenage kids growing up all you want to do is just have a kick with your mates and you know if you can be behind the scenes focusing on what you're not particularly good at or the weaker parts of your game then by the time you are mature and you are at that age to be drafted well then you're going to have you're going to be well and truly ahead of the pack because you've worked on the things that you know you're deficient at. And that's, that's the one thing I say to all young kids coming through um, who are asking the same question. That's all the questions I've got for you today, Lloyd. Thanks, Epps, for coming on once again. How'd <laughs> I go, mate? Did I pass the test? What a ripper chat that one was with Lordy. Absolute legend of a bloke. Pretty good footballer himself. Now we'll just jump straight into the round review from last week, starting off with Tyler and Saints. Tyler's just too good in the end. Would have been a much closer game if St Kilda kicked straight. But anyway, bad kicking is bad football. Basher Holly was terrific. Has just made their side so much better since coming in. He had the 32 disposals and five marks. Tom Lynch was very good. Could have had a massive bag, but he kicked two goals five. I know a lot of people hate him, but he's still a ripper footballer. Not such a ripper bloke, but he's an absolute gun footballer and he was a very handy pick-up for the Tigers. He had two goals, five, seven inch first and six marks. thought Nick Coffield was very good once again with the 17 touches and nine marks. And Shane Edwards coming back. He is so underrated in the AFL right now. He always has been in his career. just does his job week in, week out for the Tigers, which does it very well, and he just goes unnoticed, doesn't make... Much of a fuss, and he was good once again. Two goals and 21 disposals. Moving on to Geelong Collingwood. Geelong absolutely pumped him. Collingwood had an alright last quarter, but still, still lost by 68. Geelong absolutely were way on top. Mitchie Duncan, like Edwards, very underrated. He does his job, gets his 25 and 60 marks every week. He had 30 touches and 12 marks. Tom Stewart. Once again, another player that is very underrated just goes throughout his job each week. He had the 26 pros and forks, four marks. Sam Menangola, he'll be up there in the brown line. I don't think he'll beat Neil. I don't think anyone will. But he's been really improved this year. He had the 25, 23 disposals and seven marks. Paddy Dangerfield was best on in this game, in my opinion, having the four goals, 19 marks. Sorry, four goals, 19 disposals and six marks. And Tommy Hawkins just... Has had one of the best years I think he's ever had in his footy career, which is saying something the play he's been. Having the four goals won, seven in the and nine marks. So he really took ownership of what happened last week against Port and really owned up and had put in a good performance. Moving on to my tips for this round, Port versus Richmond over in Adelaide. Only thing only reason I'm going Port here is because um, it's over in Adelaide, and I just feel like they're more balanced around the ground. I feel like they can take Tom Lynch and Jack Rebolt. They've got very underrated defenders. I know a little, they're a little bit undersized, but that, I feel like they can still do the job. And I don't know who's going to play on Dixon. I feel like he could have a night out tomorrow night if Tigers don't put a, anyone on him. But I don't. I honestly don't know who's going to play on him. Moving on to Brisbane and Cats up at the Gabba. I'm going to go to the Lions just only just because just up there and I don't know who they're going to send to Neil. I feel like they've got a really balanced forward line with Charlie Cameron back in form last week. Um, Eric Hipwood's been good. Dan McStay, Dane Zorko, Lockie Neal, all these midfielders and then their forward line. And then the 
defense is probably one of the best lines in their team. They're just they're so balanced around the ground, Brisbane. So that's my tips. That's all I've got for this week. Next week I'll do a massive grand final um, preview, reviewing last week's round, and do an absolute huge grand final preview. I think it might be a bit of a long episode, but if that's okay with you guys, but it'll be just a massive grand final preview. So I'd like it if you had any questions about the grand final after this week, obviously, finding out who wins and what you like if what you think I think um, about the grand final. And if just like once again, send me through all the questions you have, like I'd happy to answer them. And that's everything I got. So thanks heaps for tuning in and don't forget to tune in next week to the massive grand final. Um, preview and good luck to all the sides playing this week. Cheers. Might not be over yet. Five seconds to go. Is that a bounce? 13! 13! Can you believe it? He's kicked 13! Straight.